Very good. Well, if you turn to the other side of your bulletin, you can find our text for this afternoon. Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 11 as we continue in our study through the Gospel of Luke. This afternoon we will consider verses 24 to 28. Verses 24 to 28. Let us hear now the reading of God's word, beginning verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, throughout the account of the Gospels and in the Gospel of Luke as we've considered it and and Acts and and really throughout the whole of Scriptures, we find a continual theme uh, that the Word of God demands a response. Uh, It can never be left ignored or left unanswered. It demands a response of all those who hear it. And yet, as we find throughout the Gospels and all the Scriptures, we see that there are those who give different responses to this demand upon them, different responses to God's Word. And here in our passage this afternoon, I think we see two different responses to the message of the Gospel that Jesus portrays for us. As we continue in our study in the Gospel of Luke, we come to our passage this afternoon, which uh, forms sort of a continuation of the particular interaction with the crowd, which we saw in the passage last week. And in these verses, we find Jesus teaching and instructing about Uh, the different responses to the gospel message that can be had. And particularly here, he teaches us about uh, what we might call a a transient or superficial response to the gospel on the one hand, and a blessed response to the gospel on the other. Jesus here illustrates for us this transient or superficial response, and in the next passage, he commends a blessed response to God's word. So as we consider these two passages, these are the two things that we will uh, consider from them this afternoon. We want to consider these two responses, the the transient and the superficial, and on the other hand, the blessed. So first, let us consider the the transient or superficial response to the gospel. We find this particularly in verses 24 to 26, as as Jesus gives this picture, and even what we might call a, a spiritual parable. Uh, You notice as we read through it, the the things that Jesus is here describing. Uh, He speaks of an unclean spirit going out of a man and and going through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he goes on to describe how the spirit comes back to the man, uh, describing the man as a house that's now swept and put in order. But ultimately, he says in verse 26, that the spirit brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, with him, And ultimately dwells there again. So as we read this this parable, this saying of Jesus, which uh, might initially seem relatively obscure to us, uh, we might ask, uh, what what is Jesus really saying here? Uh, What what is he describing? It does seem to be sort of obscure. 
What's the point that Jesus is getting at? What is he doing in these verses? I think what Jesus is doing in these verses is he is giving us spiritual insight uh, into this, the spiritual workings of the soul. He's giving us, as, as J.C. Ryle, I think, rightly says, uh, he is lifting a corner of the veil which hangs over the unseen world. Uh, he, he's giving us a glimpse into spiritual realities which we don't initially see with our eyes. The unseen world and, and the workings of the soul is what Jesus is showing to us here in these verses. And if we were to, to summarize the, the, the point of this spiritual illustration and picture which Jesus gives to us here, I think we could summarize it in this way. Now that Jesus is speaking of those who have a, a transient, temporary, and even superficial response to Jesus Christ and the word of his gospel. Now he's, he's illustrating the nature of this response. What are the, the spiritual workings of someone who, who hears the gospel, has, has some kind of response that is not ultimately lasting? What are we to make of that? What's going on behind the scenes? One of the several ways that Jesus describes this in this, this spiritual parable that he gives. First, we see as he describes this that there are seeming fruits that are bearing up in this person's life. So notice again as he describes it there in verses 24 and 25. An unclean spirit dwelling in a person, Jesus says, is, is cast out. And in verse 25, it says that when the spirit returns, it finds the house swept and put in order. See, what Jesus is here picturing to us is that there are those who can hear the, the message of the gospel, who can have some kind of response to it and, and bear some kind of fruits. Maybe not true and lasting fruits, but, but bear some kind of evidence of a response to the gospel message. And notice he says when, when the Spirit comes back, he doesn't find the house in the same disrepair in which he left it. Things have been swept. They've been put in order. It's, it's cleaner than it once was. Things are, are slightly different. And Jesus is here giving us this picture of people who can hear the word of the gospel and have some kind of effect, some kind of fruits of response to it. Their lives can be, can be swept up and, and, and somewhat put in order, and yet not have a true and lasting response to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is uh, helpfully summarized for us in our Confession of Faith, and uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 10, it describes this, and describes some who are not elected, who never truly come unto Christ, and are, are not truly saved, and yet it says they may be called by the ministry of the Word. They may really be called by the ministry of the Word, and they may have some common operations of the Spirit. There, there may be some fruits, there may be some effects from being called by the ministry of the Word in the lives of those who are not truly elect. Jesus describes this reality for us elsewhere in the Gospels. Uh, particularly, he describes this in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, you remember the, the, the parable of the sower, uh, in which Jesus gives the, the parable of a, of a man sowing seed and uh, the seed falling in different places and the different response that the seed has in the different soils. And in verses 5 and 6 of Matthew chapter 13, he describes one of those seeds in particular. And he says this, Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, 
And since they had no root, they withered away. Well, again, we, we might ask, well, what is Jesus saying here in this picture? And thankfully, he answers this for us later in Matthew chapter 13. For he goes on to say in verses 20 and 21 of Matthew 13, that as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus describes for us this this spiritual reality. Some can hear the word. The word can bear immediate fruit in their lives, or so it seems to our eyes. There, There can be reception of the word with joy, and yet ultimately it is not lasting. He also describes this again in Matthew chapter 7. And he says there of those of the, the last day who will, who will come. He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And yet Jesus says, ultimately, these are people who he will cast off. For he says, I did not know them and they did not know me. And yet those, he says, who who did not know him here have some fruits and and effects in their lives. He says they they prophesied. They casted demons out. They they did mighty works. In the same way, Jesus is here describing this of the man in our passage. His life is swept up. His life is somewhat put in order. And yet something profound is missing. Jesus Christ, he says, is, is not truly dwelling in his heart. The Spirit has not come to to indwell. There is seeming fruit, but it is not true, and it does not last. And I think there are two senses in which what Jesus here describes can be true. Uh, There's the sense which we we might describe as the immediate uh, spiritual flame-out. I can remember in my own past, growing up in, in the church, and a big evangelical church and a large youth group that we would often go on on camps and retreats. And uh, there would often be people, maybe even many people, who at these these, these camps and retreats would have uh, emotional, uh, moving spiritual experiences. Uh, They would profess faith. They would rededicate their lives to Christ. And and as we came back, they would be put forward and, and give testimonies. And, and there would be immediate fruit of, of this sort of spiritual high in their lives that they experienced. And yet, as the months and weeks went on, their lives began to look more and more like the sinful life that they had claimed to leave behind. In fact, this, this spiritual response, this spiritual experience had not been lasting. The word there had been received immediately with joy and yet ultimately did not bear lasting fruit. So we can see this, I think, in what we might call that immediate spiritual flame-out. But there's also, uh, this can be seen also in sort of a a continual superficial response to the gospel. Uh, Someone who continually sits under the ministry of the word, who comes, who does just enough to to make it seem like they're Christians, who does just enough to to convince themselves that, that their profession is real, And yet, ultimately, it is not a true heart reception of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here, as he describes, there can be seeming fruits of gospel ministry. And yet, notice in verse 26 that Jesus describes the disastrous end that will come upon these people. He says there at the end of verse 26, the haunting words 
that the last state of that person is worse than the first. And so we might ask, why is it that the last state will be worse than the first state? What, what, what will make it worse? In a sense, I think we must see Jesus' words here as connected to the passage that comes, that comes right before it, uh, that we considered last week. And you notice last week Jesus has been discussing how he has defeated and bound Satan. Uh, he has plundered his goods, and, and in so doing, he has brought sinners who were under Satan's rule and control and brought them under his own, brought them under his kingdom. Yet we see here in the example of this person that there is ultimately a, 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 not a breaking of that rule of Satan in their lives. Ultimately, when they reject the gospel, they are confirmed under the rule of Satan. His power might be weakened for a time, but ultimately, Jesus says, it is strengthened when these, these superficial and temporary professors are exposed. The rule of Satan is, is strengthened and confirmed and they are confirmed as they share in the judgment that God will bring upon Satan and those under him. And as we consider all these things, we must understand that here Jesus is giving us a warning, a deep and serious warning of the kind of response that can be had to the gospel message. Uh, he, he, he's warning those not to receive his word as pictured here. Not to have this, this temporary, superficial response to the gospel but ultimately it is a call to truly receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to truly receive him with hearts of faith. I think again, J.C. Ryle describes the point that Jesus is here making in these verses so well, where he says that there is no safety except in thorough Christianity. He says the house must not only be swept and whitewashed, a new tenant must be introduced, or the leprosy may yet appear again in the walls. The devil must not only be cast out, the Holy Ghost must take his place. Christ must dwell in our hearts by faith. We must not only be moralized, but spiritualized. We must not only be reformed, but born again. Well, having seen what Jesus here describes as a non-saving response to the gospel, we find secondly and, and positively the, the response to his message that he commends. The, the, the blessed response to gospel preaching. We find that particularly in verses 27 and 28. Notice here that the, the governing question of, of these, this interaction between Jesus and this woman is where does true blessedness come from? That's, that's the question that we must answer. The question that arises from this interaction who are those who are truly blessed? Where does blessing come from? And so you see in verse 27, as Jesus finishes speaking here, uh, that the woman cries out in the, in the crowd. There, there's a woman in the crowd, and she cries out and lifts up her voice, and she says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And yet Jesus goes on to correct her, we find in verse 28. But even as we read these, these verses and, and consider her response, there's a sense in which we might think that this woman here should be commended. There's a sense in which she's, she's responding positively when all the people around her are responding negatively. Remember the, the, the context at the beginning of our passage, that Jesus' address here is being given in the midst of those who are attacking, in the midst of those who are questioning him, 
who are claiming that he does what he does by the power of Satan. And yet here's a woman who responds positively. She praises Jesus, and she praises Jesus' mother. There's a sense in which we, think she ought, we would think she ought to be commended. And even further, there's a sense in which what she declares to Jesus is true. Uh, namely, that Mary, Jesus' mother, is blessed. Uh, she, she's not calling out some heretical doctrine. No, she, she's in a sense saying something that's true. In fact, Mary says this about herself earlier in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 48, and the great song that, that Mary sings as she interacts with Elizabeth, uh, she says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. See, there, there is a sense in which it is a great privilege for her to be the one who, who bears the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an insignificant thing. What this woman cries out is, in a sense, true. And yet Jesus, we find in verse 28, corrects her and directs the crowd away from her statement. And so we must ask, why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus correct her in what she says? And I think we could summarize it in this way. That Jesus corrects her because she confuses secondary things with ultimate spiritual realities. She confuses secondary things with true spiritual blessedness. And, and even she confuses physical things with ultimate spiritual realities. And this danger, I think, here presented by this woman is, is one that we can see that has uh, so often plagued and corrupted the church throughout its history. We can think of the, the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church who, who express this ironically, even with this passage, in the theology that they have of Mary. That they uh, view Mary and her perpetual virginity and, and sinless perfection. Her bodily assumption to heaven. All things we do not find in the scriptures, but they believe. They even hold to a sort of mediatorial role in our salvation that Mary has. They elevate her. A Roman, I was even thinking about this as reading some articles about how the Roman Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox churches have built buildings on the sites in which they understand Jesus to have been raised again from the dead and the place in which he was born. In the history of the church, these, these massive churches and, and cathedrals have been built there. And, and we, we understand there that, that, that if this is true, that these are uh, not insignificant spiritual sites. Uh, it's not insignificant to know the place in which Jesus was raised from the dead, or even in which he was born. And yet, these churches and communions have made these sacred sites of worship, where in a sense there is special blessing. It's blessed to worship God on this place in which he was raised from the dead. And we see this even more in their churches in the, in the worshiping and veneration of saints, uh, in, in holy days, in the church calendar, uh, in, in praying and, and worshiping while they face the east in a particular direction. And all these things express the, the danger of what Jesus here exposes in our passage. Now, this desire for the, the secondary and, and even physical, tangible realities has led so often in the church to not just corrupt worship, but idolatry itself. It has produced corrupt doctrine and corrupt worship. 
And there is a sense in which what Jesus says here is exactly what he confronts the Israelites of his day with, isn't it? The Israelites of his day were those who, who found hope and confidence in the fact that they were children of Abraham by the flesh. And so Jesus so often confronts them by saying that those who are truly children of Abraham are not those who are simply born of his line, but are those who receive the message of the gospel. of Those who have faith as Abraham had. And I think these temptations which we see in the history of the church and in the, the church of the old covenant of old are, are temptations that can so often appeal to us even today, to our flesh. Uh, too often we can be drawn to think in this way and to be distracted from true spiritual realities. We can think that we are blessed that those who are baptized and raised in the church and truly, there is a great blessing to be a covenant child. And yet, ultimately, those are blessed who receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. We can think that we are blessed for, for worshiping in, in such a, a beautiful building. And yet, notice the contrast that Jesus here makes in verse 28. He says that those are not blessed uh, who, for, by, by physical realities, he says, but those are blessed rather who hear the word of God and who keep it. He says this is what truly matters for each and every one of us, for our souls. It matters that we receive the gospel in its purity, that we hold fast to it by faith. That's where true blessedness comes from. I think Jesus makes this same point in a, in a parallel passage in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50 it describes a situation in which Jesus' mothers and brothers come to speak to him, and Jesus is told of this, and yet he says this in Matthew chapter 12. He asks, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so for those of us who truly receive the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith, this, this ought to be a deep encouragement to us. We are those who are blessed by God, who have experienced his, his great blessing by receiving his word. And we've done so not, not of our own accord, but by the great grace of God in, in working faith in our hearts. We are those who are blessed by receiving. But notice finally the way that Jesus describes the blessed response. It is not simply, he says in verse 28, a, a hearing of the word, but notice it is those who hear the word of God and who keep it. Those who hear and who keep. Blessedness comes to those who receive the gospel and who conform their lives according to it. But to be blessed is to believe what the gospel calls us to believe and to strive to walk in what it calls us to walk in. It is what, what, the, what James describes so powerfully in James chapter 1, verse 22, that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so here Jesus calls us, continually as his people, uh, to walk by faith in his word, to continually, Lord's day by Lord's day, as we hear the word read and preached, and even daily as we read the scriptures privately and in our families, to continually be those who are blessed by receiving the word of God and keeping it. 
But we might ask, what does it mean specifically to be those who keep God's word? What, What does it mean to keep his word? Well, there is a sense in which broadly it means that we are those who give diligent attendance and focus upon the scriptures as they're read and preached, that we seek to receive it with faith and love, to lay it up in our lives and in our hearts and to practice it in our lives. But I think, again, our confession of faith describes this so clearly and powerfully for us. In chapter 14, as it describes saving faith, it says this, that by saving faith, a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself himself speaking therein and acts differently upon that which each particular passage contains, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. See, here's a picture for us of how we must live this, this blessed life. That we ought to be those who by faith receive whatever God speaks to us in His Word. That we obey and walk in His commandments and and view them not as burdensome. That we tremble at at His warnings. That we embrace His promises. This is what we are called to. But ultimately, this is best summarized for us, I think, in, in in Psalm 1, that great psalm which we so often sing, which says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers." And so may we be those who heed the words of the Lord Jesus Christ here, who seek to continually walk according to his word, daily receiving it and practicing it in our lives, and therein finding the blessedness which he offers to us as we pray together. O God in heaven, we do give thanks that you have granted to us your holy word. And, O God, we do ask that you would grant to us the powerful working of your Spirit, that we might receive your word in faith. O Lord, cause us to receive whatever you you speak to us in your word. Help us to receive your commandments, to to tremble at your warnings, to embrace your promises. And all this we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.